So let me let me set some context here. I work at Centric Consulting. Uh, I spend my full-time hours uh, being a consultant, and then I teach um, in the evenings at University of Cincinnati. And so most often, uh, I find myself in these kinds of positions. Last night, I was teaching a class, and um, I love this stuff. It never gets lost on me, the impact that this has on students and or people who, who gave up two hours of their Tuesday morning. I had to think about that for a minute. I was teaching until 10 o'clock last night, so, and there was an early morning, so uh, it's Monday is running into Tuesday quickly. So for giving up your half, your, uh, your two hours of your Monday, it does not get lost on me, the importance of this. And so what I'm gonna talk about today, I got introduced to this topic uh, about 10 years ago. A lady, she actually passed away during COVID. Um, I don't know if you, anybody has read this book. I do have a couple giveaways today. So if you raise your hand, you might get the book. It's fabulous. Um, this lady's name is Judith Glazier. She is, uh, I heard her speak at an event down in Orlando, Florida, and I spent um, probably the next year tracking her down to try to learn more from her. Uh, I got a hold of her. Uh, and then I spent uh, about six months in conversation with her to learn more about this topic uh, because it fascinated me. Uh, so this topic today, uh, I believe, is an absolute game changer in your leadership skills. Uh, my background is I have spent over 20 years uh, as an org development consultant. I know nothing about your space at all. Nine-tenths of you in this room, uh, I am the least technical person. If I could turn my computer on, uh, and then I can get in my email, it's a victory for me. Uh, so I know nothing about your space. I am a one-trick pony in this world of uh, uh, multi-skilled, multi-faceted uh, people that are uh, multi-everything. Uh, I am a one-trick pony, okay? This is all I know, this is all I do. I've spent all 20 years of my career uh, trying to fix cultures. How successful do you think I have been trying to fix culture? When you go after culture, uh, I sit in front of leaders and they say, we need culture change, right? Raise your hand if you would like a culture change in your organization. Okay, welcome to the club. Um, I've spent 20 years trying to do it. Um, and emerging, and what had started to emerge in me 10 years ago was why am I never successful changing the cultures? Because I was going after something very nebulous, right? The culture, if we, we could define it a hundred different ways. Um, it's kind of the air we breathe. It's, to, it's the way we do things. It's our norms. It's nebulous. It's hard, right? And when you go after culture for culture's sake, good luck. I've been trying to do that for 20 years and haven't been a while so successful in doing it. Um, what I found through, um, through the work of Judith Glazier was really uh, when I shifted my focus to going after people, um, and more specifically, going after the conversations we have, we were actually successful in shifting cultures that way. And so that's why I spent uh, a year trying to get a hold of her because she was the person where, when she spoke, what she said resonated with me because I thought of all the experiences that I had thinking about if I could do that work, it would be meaningful to the culture of the organization. Uh, and so when I say that this is a game changer for you. I say that because it was a game changer in the work that I do. And so I fully believe you invested two hours here today. I would love it if you would walk out of here and say, I'm gonna experiment with one thing that he said, okay? If you like this forum, 
Uh, I was the speaker. If you don't like it in your survey, Eric Satterley, ladies and gentlemen. So, uh, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I didn't want to be the closer, so thank you, Doug. All right. I would be remiss if I didn't give her definition of this. She, uh, and, and, and no joke, if, if you hear her speak in her TED Talks, or she has a great one that she did with uh, the Gates Foundation, uh, she's worked with every big organization. If you name them, she's probably worked with them. Um, so she defines, uh, or she states, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture. Do we all agree with that? Like if you wanna to go to the great, your culture better be pretty great, right? So to get there, we gotta, we gotta strengthen our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships. Who would agree with that? I think I see a lot of hands and shaking heads, good. Okay, so we're all in agreement there. Which depends on the quality of our conversations. Now I'm gonna flip the question here. How many of you thought of like that piece of it? You have to get down to that level of detail, meaning like cultures, if we stripped it all the way back, we would get it back to conversation. Has anybody ever thought that detail about culture? I was in culture work and I never thought about that. Um, it, I am 100% I am telling you, um, it is the only way I've ever impacted culture in this, in this stuff. I told you it's the only work I do. I'm not good at anything else in this world other than um, culture work. So uh, everything that happens, happens through conversation. Uh, we're going we're gonna to spend, uh, I think the next 20 minutes, I have a half hour, right? Okay, we're going to spend the next 20 minutes just unpacking this. Um, Please, if you have questions, ask them in the moment. Um, I do not want to uh, disrupt your train of thought with my words. Um, I absolutely am a believer in words. I think worlds live inside of words, so I don't want to disrupt your good thoughts with my words, so please interject as we go, and I'll save five minutes at the end so that we can, we can populate some questions. Cool. All right. What is this thing called conversational intelligence? I want to, I want you to focus on, cause this is, this is foundational. It's a grounding principle of what I'm going to talk about. Conversational intelligence is the hardwired and learnable ability. Okay. That if you don't remember anything, remember that please. Okay. It is a grounding principle to the rest of what we're going to talk about for the next 20 minutes. Okay. It means that you are sitting here investing this time and you can learn this skill. It's not innate to all of us. It's actually the reverse of that. If you think about like our human nature is uh, very first, our very first human nature is to survive, which automatically means I'm selfish by nature. Okay. Here's the good news. We share one thing in common in this room. We all look and feel and act differently. We share one thing and that's that we're humans, which makes us what? This doesn't get a book, but this, this is a good answer if you can come up with it. Imperfect and messy. Was, was that your thing? Perfect. Yes. We all share that. We all share that we're human, we're imperfect, and we're messy. Great starting point, great jumping off point for my talk, right? Uh, really positive on a Tuesday morning. Uh, now, the second part of this is... Hardwired, learnable ability to connect, navigate, and grow with others, which is a necessity in building healthier and more resilient organizations in the face of change. 
Okay, if you change the word organization today, I would absolutely love it if you said, I'm gonna go experiment with something Brad said in my home life. That would make me happier because I am a firm believer that if you're better at home, you'll be better at work. Okay, so if you do that, if you walk out of here, and I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a couple of challenges for you, so, so get ready. If you walk out of here and you email me something, I gave this talk almost two years ago, four people emailed me afterwards. It, 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 I rode that high for about six months after that. And two of the four um, did something at home. Okay, not at work. I don't care about your work. I do care about your work. I care less about your work than I do about you being a good whatever life role you play, okay? All right. I'm big in grounding. I'm an OD person, I'm an org development person. We ground everything. Um, here's a grounding principle. Uh, it, this is another thing, if you walk, if you write one thing down today, and I, uh, I might give you a, I might send you a book for this. If you write one thing down today and you repeat it to me, relationship precedes task and transaction. Does anybody, can anybody define what that means? Go ahead. Interactions over processes. Yeah. How would you have said it? Yeah, so basically, you think we have the relationship and people care about what you're asking them to do. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't have a relationship, what does that mean? Yeah, and I have this. I usually don't care what comes out of your mouth. Good. Let's hold on to that word. Let's hang on to it for a minute. Trust drives out, but yes. Hang on to trust, okay? All right, grounding principle. Why is it important though? Why is this conversational intelligence idea and concept important? Uh, I hope to make it a very good case. So we are going to give away the first book if somebody can answer this question for me. Have any, has anybody buy books off Amazon? Okay, it's good, so does the rest of the world. Uh, so, with, if you buy a book off of Amazon, you know you can search and filter it by leadership and business management. That's a category you can search, okay? So there's two of the most uh, referenced words and titles of leadership and business management books are what? And I will give you one of them. It's leadership. But what's the other one? You get a book. Nope. Relationship? Nope. You got a book. Yeah. It's a great book. If, uh, if you want to sell it, um, the, the books are very hard to find. I can tell you, uh, Judith passed away almost a year ago, uh, and finding her books now is, is difficult, so uh, hold on to it. It'll... The bidding starts at one place. Yeah, I would, I would, I would start there. Uh, I had a hard time getting a hold of two of them. So, uh, trust. Over 50, 57,000 leadership books on trust uh, in the title on Amazon. Okay, 57,000 plus. Uh, guess how many respondents listed trust as number one quality of a leader they'd follow? You don't have to guess because it's on the screen. It's 83%. 83%, and that was from a, is anybody familiar with Centers of Creative Leadership? 
Anybody use that in their workplace? Awesome. Um, one of the tools that they do is a leadership index. 83%, even I was blown away with that number. That's, that's high. The number one. Okay, so trust is probably pretty important. Where does trust start? If I said, uh, and I do um, part of my career, part of my um, movement in life is to uh, coach and, and teach others leadership because I did it so poorly um, that I learned a whole bunch from those poor examples of leadership. Uh, and so it uh, became my life's mission to, to coach and teach on it. And so, because those that can't teach, right? So uh, I have carried that forward. Um, so uh, this, is a, this is a resounding uh, statement but when we say, if I told you today, hey, you just need to get, if I, my coaching to you, this would be really bad coaching, by the way, if my coaching to you was, hey, you just need to get better at this trust thing, uh, and you would be a better leader, right? We would all agree with that, right? But what does it mean? How do I get better at trust? Has anybody tried to do that? Has anybody got a 360 and came out to be that uh, trust was fairly low in you as a leader? That hurts, right? I, I've had that result. Dion gets it every year, and it's 360. <laughs> Chris has never got it. Uh, so it, it's tough. And it's a tough thing to work on. Uh, and quite honestly, like, I didn't have this. Let me remind you, this is the only thing I do, so I got to be good at it, otherwise, I don't have a career. Uh, I didn't have a good answer for this. Like, hey, trust is low. What do I do about it? Okay, well, you can go and do. X, Y, and Z, um, and uh, until Judith introduced me to peel back the layers of the onion for me and said, in order to build trust, it has to start with conversation, okay? And that is absolutely what pushed me down this path to start to seek out if we got, if leaders and organizations got more intelligent around conversations, how much better and how much further and how much faster could they go? Okay, and so I've been doing this work now for a little while, and I am telling you with resounding results, if you get better at conversations, magically your leadership skills get better overnight. Okay, you believe me? It's fine if you don't. Okay, so that's great. Um, I have told you a, a whole bunch of stuff, but what do we actually do about it? Um, and am I ever going to actually get there? And I promise you I will, just not quite yet. Um, so, we all have blind spots. That's the bad news. Everybody has them. Um, if you don't know you have them, uh, I hate to be the person to tell you you have them, but you do, we all do. Uh, and so there are some common conversational blind spots. These are not my common conversational blind spots. This is research that the WE Institute did, um, which was started by Judith Glazier. Um, and so these are the five conversational blind spots that I want to bring them to your attention today because um, you will absolutely find yourself in at least one of these. I usually find myself playing in four or five of them. And so um, it, uh, welcome to the club if you're, if you're with me and uh, you are a common participant in uh, many of these blind spots. How many of us not, we usually only see our point of view? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're Chris, it's fine. Um, 
I'm not. Uh, and so, but my lens is usually about like this wide. Okay. Now, the good news is if we go back to the definition, this is hardwired and learnable. So I can learn, that implies that I can learn to widen my lens, okay? But it's the number one, uh, it, it, these are in order uh, of how, they, how often the Wee Institute is finding these as blind spots in their survey work. So not seeing behind, beyond your point of view. Is that highest order? Highest order, starting right here, one to five. Uh, shutting down because of fear, right? At some point in conversation, we tow the line of um, wild transparency, which pushes us into fear. Or we just tow the line of, I'm not sure I really want to go to this place because it might open up something that I'm not really sure that I want to open up to yet. And so we shut the conversation down because of our own uh, fear and, and vice versa, the other person may, may shut it down because of their own fear. Uh, so that's number two. Number three, um, I will raise my hand on this one. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to give you some tips on how you don't do these things too, okay? It's coming, I promise you. Uh, not hearing what is really said though. Uh, I often will have my frame of reference in mind and I hear the things that I want to hear. Right? If you're, uh, uh, if you're a husband, raise your hand. Okay. Uh, but we do this as, a, as an art form. In our, in our personal lives. It becomes our art um, and we make a science of it because we're such good artists of it. We absolutely uh, uh, struggle to hear what is really said, okay? Because we have our own mental stories going on, part of the brain that makes us interesting, unique ladies in the room. Um, unique and interesting is very sexy, okay? so. It makes us unique. All right. Fourth one, listening to reject. Uh, this is a fascinating one to me. I had to dig into this one a little bit to understand the meaning of it. So I looked at their research on it. And um, I don't, this is one I probably don't resonate with as much. And so this concept is really like, I'm listening to you only to um, reject the statement you're making to show that I am right. Okay, now I can, I can relate to that last piece of it because I have this need, I'm gonna talk about, when I talk about priming, I'm gonna talk about it. I have this need to always be right. And so, um, you know, this is probably a true blind spot for me because I can't see it. But I know that the need to be right is there and so this is probably my blind spot. I said, oh, this is not me, right? Raise my hand, I said it was me. This is my blind spot, okay? listening to reject. All right, last one. Oh man, only if we got better at this. Only if we got better at this. Asking questions for which we already have your answer. Not the answer, but your answer. How many of us do this? I do it all the time because I'm afraid if I ask a question that I don't have the answer to, I'll either look dumb, um, which is a, which is a, we feel Brad all the way back. That's a great fear, okay? Or um, the person won't respect me, 
or I'll lose trust or a thousand other reasons for which I only ask questions for which I have the answer to, which leads us where? In a relationship, if we ask questions that we have the, we have our answer to, how do you think the, how rich do you think the relationship is? It's absolutely one-sided. Okay, so this is where I want you to, if you walked out of here and you said, I'm going to do this better at home, you would have less one-sided relationships at home and you would be better at work for that. Okay, so that is a high, high challenge for everybody in this room. If I ask questions for which I don't have the answer to uh, and I did that just at home, would I have really rich two-sided relationship and conversation? Yes, you would is the answer. And yes, you can thank me later. All right, so here's a little bit. I wanna get a little nerdy with you for a minute, so allow me to do that. Uh, this is my only time that I will get nerdy, I promise you. So this is the I to we spectrum, and this is, this is Judas' work. This is not my work. Uh, these are not my thoughts. I am speaking uh, on behalf of, of a great mind. Uh, the I to we spectrum is, so this, uh, let me really get nerdy with you, okay, because this needs some context. Um, does anybody know that um, trust and distrust actually live in two separate areas of our brain? Right, we think of them kind of jointly, like, like it's one thing, it's trust, and then there's distrust, but it's one thing, right? It actually, they live in two separate areas of our brain. One, trust lives in our prefrontal cortex, the front of our brain, um, and distrust lives in the amygdala, the back of our brain. Okay, and so um, it's fascinating because we're engaging different parts of our brain uh, for those two things, uh, which means that we can separate those two things pretty well by, according to neuroscience. Okay, so this spectrum here is saying like, distrust lives over here on the left, which is, um, we're gonna we're gonna talk more about this. This is the protection side, right? This is our this is our innate um, built-in kind of need to protect and survive. We were created uh, for the very first thing is for survival, right? And so it's our that's our first place of resonance uh, when we're in conversations. I just need to survive, okay? So. Level one is transactional, right? We're gonna, we're, we talked about uh, relationship over transaction, okay? Level one conversation is transactional, meaning we create territory, we create fear, competition, uh, all that good stuff. The outcomes is we get resistors and skeptics. In your organization, if you're working on a project, are there resistors and skeptics? Okay, they are living in level one conversation. Level two is the conditional or positional. And level two is um, we advocate a position, idea, or concept. A lot of you are doing this throughout your day-to-day -day kind of work, right? We're advocating for some sort of idea. We need to go to X. In order to go to the X, we need these you know, five principles. Um, so we're advocating, but we're not quite yet over into this area, which is co-creation, high trust, uh, which is truly transformational conversation. So in level three, we share openly. 
Uh, we open up our inner thoughts, ideas, and concepts, a truly a wide open uh, safe space for conversation. Okay, so this I to we spectrum is important. Uh, I want you to focus on, Dougie said there was a laser, I'm testing it. Okay, these two words, protect and partner. When I'm in, when I'm in level one conversation, I'm protecting. Okay, I'm putting up a wall, I'm building uh, a safe hold for my ideas, my thoughts, and I'm not allowing you in. When I'm in level three conversation, which by the way, according to the research, is very little time is spent in level three conversation. So the good news is if you're, if you're not resonating with that side, join the rest of the club uh, because not many people are engaging in level three. But in level three, we're moving to we and we're actually partnering in conversation. Questions before I move on. Which question is not as easy like strong teams working with each other day in, day out, totally through challenges, policy to each other, day created. I would imagine they're well obviously spent and time in transacting with safe source pirates. And first it is the conversation that looks mucky at first and bit in more years it is a more outside industry with tropical act and super Yeah. That is absolutely fair and I can tell you I'll give you a real life example I wanna provide some contextual stuff to that to in my own experience. Well, I worked at a, at a client who's a wire cable manufacturer. Uh, their team lived in transaction. Okay, we, 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 were, we were charged with, um, they, were, they were standing up a new tra uh, transportation management system. Um, and it was a transportation company, logistics company, largely. They were wire cable manufacturer, but it was really moving all that across the country. That was a tricky part of their business. So they were standing up a new system. Um, we were charged with the change management work in that. And we walked into the very first meeting and I quickly realized if we didn't change that culture, we were not gonna be successful because they were living in the transaction and then wondering why are we, they were nine months behind, they were about uh, $17 million over budget uh, and the team was in utter disarray. There was two people that talked the entire meeting. Uh, the other people largely were checked out, not largely, they were checked out. And they were on to other things, thinking about you know life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness outside of uh, of their workplace. Um, and so we quickly realized that you know, the change management activities were going to be great, but if we didn't start to build um, some level of conditional trust in that team, and it was largely a team of the scrum masters, and it were kind of a uh, what do you guys say? Is it agile? The waterfall, and so they had project managers and scrum masters and they all worked over top of each other and um, the right hand never did what the left hand was doing. Is that resonating with some people? Um, the work we did was surely to build up, to push conversations from you got, you have to move from transactional into relational, uh, at least a little bit of your time. If there's not relationship here, these low levels of trust will absolutely continue to sink your project and you guys will fail. Um, the good news is uh, they were able to do that. Um, and I will say it started at the top. Relationship got better at the top and then not ironically, um, relationships underneath them got better. Um, and it happens through conversation. You're absolutely spot on with, yes, it is 
Um, if you think about it, if you logged like your day, we spend most of our day in transactional conversation. It's business, right? Uh, and so a lot of our day is spent in the transactional. Um, and some people would say, when I introduced this into companies, they would say, well, it takes too much time. Building a relationship takes time and I don't have time to build a relationship. We got transactions to take care of. We got business to do. And I would say to go fast, you have to first go slow. Um, and if you go slow, you will eventually go fast and you will go much faster than you were before if you invested in the relationship first. Make sense? <clears throat> Fire away. So you, have you looked at uh, transactional versus transactional leadership theory? So taking the coin, but you know the correlation, or is it just ones that I'm that you do as this? There is absolutely. If I had time, uh, three minutes. So I definitely don't have time. Um, maybe uh, the next, if you fill out that survey and, and, and it goes well, in the next one we'll we'll talk about the correlation there because there absolutely is a correlation and a tie between. Correlates of all citizens. I'm betting my can't do that. Say it. Say it again. Uh, no. Give me your name, and I will. I will send you some. Yeah. So I will send you some research on. Uh, two minutes, Doug. Okay. I got to move. Um, so how do we move? This is all great, but how do I actually move from transactional to transformational conversation? That's the tough part, right? How do I get from, from where I am to where, where I want to go? Um, the I to we, I wanna, I wanna reiterate the importance of this. So moving from protection to partnership requires, and I'm gonna give you my buzzword, intentionality, okay? It requires you to be intentional. If this skill is learnable and it's hardwired, it means that if I apply some intentionality to it, I can get better at it. I am living proof of that. I was absolutely not, you know, those that can't teach, right? Uh, I was not good at this. I am still a work in progress uh, every single day in this space. And so this um, I to we movement across the spectrum, it requires you to be intentional. Okay, I'm gonna move quickly now. Um, priming, uh, the idea of priming is, is a little bit of self-talk. And so when I go into conversation, if I know I'm gonna go into a room where there's gotta be heavy transactional conversation, and I know that the important thing to bubble out of there is, is actually relationship, I go in with my priming speech, which is, I have a need to be right. It's not important that I'm right, um, and I need to have a relationship with you. So I go in priming myself with that statement so that I can get off of my desire and need to always be right. And so that I actually open my ears up and listen and we have two way conversation and hopefully it's transformational. Okay, so um, come up with a priming statement for yourself uh, and I promise you, you will see results. All right, last, last one. Uh, there's a ton of noise. I'm gonna give away my second book. Uh, I just put it over here. Okay, I'm gonna turn my back. Raise your hand if, I don't want you to hurt my feelings, so I gotta turn my back. Raise your hand if during this talk, you thought about what you were gonna have for dinner. Raise your hand if during this talk, uh, you thought about your next meeting. Okay, raise your hand if uh, you thought about something going on in your own life. 
Okay, who raised their hand for all three of those? Who raised their hand for two of them? You get a book. Okay. Uh, it, is, it is absolutely okay. At some point during this conversation, uh, my brain went somewhere else and I had to come back to center. And I'm talking. Okay. It is absolutely okay. Um, you will do this. And it, again, my buzzword, it requires intentionality. I had to come back to center. Okay, you will have to, you will get engaged in conversation. You will have to come back to center in this. Okay, so there is a whole bunch of, and if I would have had more time, we would have went into this, but there's a whole bunch of things to get in our way. Um, just know that it's natural. It's okay. Come back to center. And I do that through usually my primate statement. All right, last thing and I'm done. Uh, Two exercises. Do you come up, come up with a priming statement? Uh, dedicate one day this week that you will recite that statement be, uh, before each conversational opportunity. That's a low challenge one. That's easy. Low hanging fruit. Everybody in the room can do that one, uh, and you will see results. Now, if you're a high challenge person, teach your team the five conversational blind spots. Give your team permission to bring the blind spots to your attention. Oh, that's risky and then challenge the team to rinse and repeat because if you wanna make change, they have to do it too, okay? So if you're after high challenge, that's the high challenge. Now, if you really are an overachiever um, and you want an even higher challenge, uh, email me with the results of this exercise. Okay, my email information is right here along with that picture. Take a picture of that one, put it on social media. Uh, but my email is right here if you want some high challenge please email me with how you did and what were the results, and I will very much appreciate it. Thank you, thank you for being here, thank you for showing up, thank you for uh, your investment in your leadership development. Uh, it will pay dividends for you.